Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 42. It's titled, All Countries Are Insolvent. And that's a good thing. The impetus for today's episode came from a statement that I've heard several individuals say quite emphatically recently that the U.S. government is bankrupt. And it's usually said in a very negative way, a, a way that suggests this is terrible and catastrophic. And at some point, everyone is going to wake up and realize the emperor has no clothes. And at that point, all heck will break loose. We want to explore that today, particularly what does it mean to be bankrupt or insolvent and why that's actually necessary for countries to function in a modern monetary system. Before doing that, let me share an experience I had as a kid. I used to love to play the board game Monopoly. And I would play, it would be, generally be, I was young, so it was my, sis, my older sister and I and my mom and my dad. Classic nuclear family playing Monopoly around the dining room table. And I loved the game, but I hated the fact that I always lost. Usually my dad won. Sometimes with my mom, but usually my dad, I never won as a child. And and I often would go to bed crying because I lost the game, because the game would keep going on, because my mom and dad would still play, and I would have been knocked out, bankrupt, and, and that was it. Until I was about 10 or 11, and for Christmas, I got the book called The Monopoly Book. And the Monopoly book was a book, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but basically it was the secret to winning Monopoly. And I studied that book and I started applying the principles and suddenly Monopoly made sense. I knew the secrets by the oranges, best properties, the ones right there by free or free parking, no, go to jail, no, free parking. Between jail and free parking, there are the oranges that is the prime property, has the correct balance between cost of houses, cost of rent, and everyone lands on it that gets out of jail. Invariably, seven, they get a seven, you're there, or an eight. So, Monopoly suddenly made sense because I understood the rules of the game. Now, later, as a professional, one of the hedge funds that I used, and and really one of my virtual mentors in hedge fund investing is Seth Klarman, who runs the Balpost Group. He mentioned once in one of his annual letters, or it might have been a meeting I had with him, 
that he used to play Monopoly as a kid with his brothers, but they would actually leverage up the properties. So it wasn't straight hand money for property. They would actually use leverage in the game of Monopoly, which I suppose is why they are hedge fund. He's a hedge fund manager, and I'm not. I didn't even know what leverage was at age 10. The point being, though, this concept of the U.S. government is bankrupt, or all countries are bankrupt or insolvent. What I'm going to share with you today is, is sort of like getting the Monopoly book. Finally understand, all right, here is how it, it actually works. And it, it can be somewhat mind-blowing. I, I admit, when I first, it took me a while to understand these principles, and, and, I, and I alluded to them in, in, I believe it was episode four, on seesaws and budget deficits, but we're going to take it from a different angle today. This idea is the government, the federal government, be it the U.S., Australia, other developed nations, developing nations, are their governments, the federal governments, insolvent. So what does it mean to be bankrupt? Well, bankrupt typically assumes that in order to be bankrupt, you have to have a court of law say that, that you're bankrupt, that you can no longer meet your net debts. It's actually a legal designation. So we're, we're going to get away from bankruptcy and focus instead on insolvency. So is the U.S. government insolvent? Merriam-Webster has a definition for what it means to be insolvent. And there's two, two parts. First is, A, unable to pay debts as they fall due in the usual course of business. B, having liabilities in excess of a reasonable market value of assets held. So it doesn't necessarily have to be both. It can be one or the other. So unable to pay the debts in, in the usual course of business or having your liabilities sufficiently greater than a reasonable market value of the assets. It, now, the U.S. Government Accountability Office which, which is GAO for short, does an audit of the U.S. financial statements every year. They typically release it in late February. So the most recent audit of the U.S. government was from a year ago, and it's for the fiscal year ending 2013. What does that audit shows? It showed that the U.S. government had liabilities or debts of just under $20 trillion dollars comprised primarily of $12 trillion of debt owed to the public, which is often known as the national debt, and benefits owed to federal employees and veterans. That, that's $6.5 trillion. So that is what is owed. Those are the liabilities. What are the assets? The GAO estimates the assets of the U.S. government are $3 trillion, composed primarily of student loans receivable. Most uh, federal student loans, at least in the U.S., are issued by the federal government, backed by the federal government. So you have students that owe money to the government. That is one of the U.S. government's primary assets, a trillion dollars of notes receivable. And the remaining, or much of the remaining $3 trillion in assets are property and equipment that the U.S. government owns. Now, 
they don't lump in national parks as an asset of the U.S. government. So this would be federal facilities, perhaps the White House, the Capitol building. That's the property of the U.S. government, $3 trillion. So by that definition, then, our definition of insolvency, the U.S. government is insolvent in that its assets are worth significantly less than its liability. Now, usually when a business entity is insolvent, its creditors get worried and either move to collect the outstanding debt or they refuse to lend additional funds. And this places the entity in the situation of the other definition of insolvency in that they're unable to pay their debts. So why hasn't the United States creditors refused to stop lending its money? That, that's one of the questions we're going to address today. So businesses become insolvent by suffering losses, which means their expenses exceed their revenue. And in order to spend more than they receive in revenue, they either have to borrow money or raise additional capital. So that's what you do. When you, when you lose money as a business, you have to go borrow it from somewhere. You have to cover the shortfall, and you do that by taking out a loan or you raise additional equity capital. Now, there comes a point when if you continue to lose money as a business, investors won't lend you capital anymore. And, and then you still have all these debts outstanding, but perhaps you're continuing to suffer losses and you're, not, you're trying to roll over the debt because you have to make interest and principal payments on the debt. And you get into the point where you, perhaps you can raise a little more debt for a time, but eventually creditors are going to get wise of the situation and they'll stop lending you money, and then you become insolvent. Is that not the situation of the United States in that is not the U.S. and other governments, don't they suffer losses every year? And what, what, is, a, what is a loss for the U.S. government? We don't typically think of the government suffered a loss. But if the government receives less in tax revenue than it spends – runs a budget deficit, then technically that is a loss. And if it, it, the entity runs a loss, then they need to cover, at least from an accounting perspective, cover the, the shortfall by borrowing money. So if the government is insolvent, its assets are worth way less than its liability, it is running a loss every time it collects less in tax revenue than it spends, why, sh- why doesn't the government just simply at least run, run a surplus, achieve a profit, spend less than it receives in taxes, or at least break even? Here's why governments don't run profits, or in most cases, never break even. They control the expense side of their income statement, but they don't control the level of revenue. Ultimately, that is controlled by businesses and households. Here's why. The U.S. government raises revenue primarily through income taxes on businesses and households. That means businesses and households pay a portion of their income to the federal government. Most households earn income by working, which means their income is actually 
some company's expense. The company's paying them. So a household income is an expense for some company. Companies earn income by spending less than they receive in revenue. In other words, they earn a profit. Then they pay a portion of that profit to the U.S. government in the form of tax, taxes. When an entity spends less than it receives, we call that savings. So a profit is really just another name for business savings. But here's where it gets a bit complicated. Businesses earn a profit, i.e. they save, by spending less than their income. But their income comes from businesses and households who buy goods and services from them. But those customers, both households and businesses, are also trying to spend less than their income because if they don't, they suffer losses and become insolvent. If they suffer loss, then they need to borrow money or raise equity capital, which means they need households or businesses to give them some of their savings in the form of a loan or investment in equity capital. It sort of feels like we're going in circles, and we are. So here are our three principles. One, whenever a household or business spends a dollar, that dollar is someone else's income. Back in, in one of the earlier episodes when I talked about how the economy is measured in terms of gross domestic product, gross domestic product being a you can you can calculate it in different ways. Ultimately, GDP is a measure of the value of the products and services a a nation, primarily its businesses, produce. But they calculate GDP in two ways. They calculate or they estimate it based on total spending and investing within a country, but they can also calculate it based on total income because a nation's spending always equals their income. So back to principle one, whenever a household or business spends a dollar, that dollar is someone else's income. Two, when a household or business lends or invests a dollar, they are lending their savings. Three, the only way households and businesses can save is spend less than their income. So if every dollar spent is someone else's income and the only way to save is to spend less than your income, how is it possible for a nation as a whole to save unless someone is spending more than their income or suffering a loss, incurring the risk of insolvency? Because collectively, in order to save... Businesses are trying to save by spending less than their income. Households are trying to save by spending less than their income. But the act of trying to spend less means somebody else's income is suffering and they're getting hurt. And it's kind of a downward spiral. The only way it works is if there's some entity willing to spend more than their income. Now, you can step back and say, well, maybe not. Maybe there's always somebody out there running a loss, and we just, we just sort of switch places. So there's always some business that's willing to suffer a loss so that I can personally save. And, but you can't really look at it that way. You have to look at it collectively. And collectively, there needs to be an entity willing to suffer a loss so that everyone else can save. And that entity 
is the federal government. They suffer a loss by running a deficit. And they don't choose to do it. It is determined absolutely by households and businesses. How? Well, the government, federal government, sets up a budget for the year, what they're going to spend. And then sometimes it takes them a while to get the budget set, but they, they set it. And then they hope the revenue comes in to allow them to perhaps run a balanced budget. But again, it's the households and businesses deciding what they want to spend that year, which in turn dictates how much they're going to earn because business savings is the same as business profit. And if collectively households and businesses are acting, if they want to save more money that year, they're going to spend less. By spending less, total business income is going to drop, which means they're going to be firing or laying off employees or not hiring as many employees. They're going to be buying less from other businesses. So those businesses' income is going to drop. And ultimately, tax revenue is going to fall because income is down as a nation and the country runs a budget deficit. And then the government with a budget deficit, in order to balance his book, goes out and borrows money by issuing treasury bonds and notes. Now, what that means is, is that the fact that the government, the federal governments are insolvent is really just a function of having run deficits many for many years because the, com- the country's businesses and households want to save collectively. They, they cut their spending, income drops, tax revenue drops, government runs a budget deficit, and it continues to run a budget deficit because a government is not a business. It's not there to make a profit. It's there to provide services to its nation's citizens And if the nation's citizens, its households and businesses, want to save more, then the country will naturally fall into a deficit. The national debt is the sum told of all prior year deficits. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
Head to netsuite.com slash David. That's netsuite.com slash David. netsuite.com slash David. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I've made a couple of simplifying assumptions here. One, I, I ignored trade in that countries that run trade surpluses, businesses that export more than they import. So if collectively a country is running a trade surplus, they're bringing in excess income, which household and businesses can save. Conversely, if they run a trade deficit, households and businesses are sending more spending, sending money out that potentially could be saved in exchange for goods and services. So they run a trade deficit, which reduces the ability to save. So we've ignored trade. The other thing I've not discussed is banks. When businesses run a deficit, when they suffer losses, we, we suggested that their borrowing, their borrowings, either by raising investment capital or they're borrowing money, they're borrowing from other businesses and households, they're borrowing other business and household savings. In reality, most lending is done by banks, and banks, as we learned way back in episode one, and I've alluded to in other episodes, banks can create money simply by making a loan. They do not have to go find the money, it's collect deposits, it's done simply by, by the act of making a loan, that is what creates the deposit. You can go back and listen to episode one and check out the show notes if, if that's confusing, because it it is confusing, but that is how it works. But let's get to the primary question. Why are lenders, the holders of the U.S. national debt, willing to continue to do that? Why haven't interest rates skyrocketed? Why don't, if the government is insolvent, why doesn't the bond market act like it is? Well, the reason is the U.S. Federal Reserve the central bank, lenders to the U.S. government, its holders of the national debt, that, that, that would be foreign countries, that would be businesses, that would be you and I through mutual funds, believe that the U.S. government and other sovereign nations will pay their debt. They'll be able to roll it over. And the reason they believe that is because in event that the market gets spooked and suddenly believes that for whatever reason the government isn't going to be able to do it, the U.S. Federal Reserve can step in and buy up all that debt as much as it wants because it can also create money simply by creating it because it effectively controls the money supply. And the federal government, like it did in the 40s, can cap interest rates and say, we're not going to pay any more than 3% interest and our central bank will buy as much debt as it needs in order to accomplish that. That is why individuals, businesses, and households, they may not realize it. That's why they're willing to continue to fund the national debt and to fund their savings. 
even though the government is technically insolvent. Now, that doesn't mean a couple things. It doesn't mean the government can just spend willy-nilly. This is not talking about what the government should spend money on. That is a question of policy and should be actively debated. It also doesn't mean that there aren't constraints. And one of the questions I get all the time is, well, what if China, who owns a large percentage of the U.S. national debt, what if they decide they don't want to hold it anymore and they dump it on the market? We're going to sell all our debt. And again, what could happen is the Federal Reserve could step in and buy all that debt. Now, then it's a question is what does China do with that money that they just got from selling their debt back to the U.S.? Again, the, the China owns the debt because we bought, as a nation, so much stuff from them. We run huge trade deficits with China. We hand them dollars. They take those dollars and invest them in U.S. treasuries. If China decides they're going to sell all their U.S. treasuries in the open market, Federal Reserve has to step in to soak up that excess supply. Then China has all these dollars. They can do two things. They can exchange them in the foreign exchange market, which potentially could significantly increase the the value of the, the yuan, the Chinese currency, hurting Chinese trades. Conversely, it would weaken the dollar. Or they could spend those dollars in the U.S., And that is where there's a significant risk. If they decided to spend all that money in the U.S. buying up property, buying up plants, buying up goods and services, that actually could spark inflation to the extent that our capacity to produce is limited. And if there's a huge inflow of money from China to buy things, that could push up the price of goods and services and cause Inflation. That's a concern, and that is why running huge trade deficits can be so dangerous. Think about that a moment. There's this sentiment that's often stated that somehow it's the U.S. government's fault that China owns so much of U.S. government debt. That if the U.S. government would just have not run budget deficits, then China wouldn't actually own so much debt. But the reality is China owns debt because as individuals, households, and businesses are making purchase decisions that result in a very large trade deficit with China, who then, we've handed them the dollars, have to do something with them, and they're choosing to buy U.S. government debt, even if the government hadn't it been running trades or been running budget surpluses for many years, China would still be buying the debt and hold a large percent. Just interest rates would probably be potentially even lower. So the issue is not that the government is running a budget deficit. Again, the budget deficit is driven by decisions by households and businesses how much they want to save. The percent of foreign ownership of a nation's debt is dependent on household and business decisions regarding what they want to buy, whether they want to buy domestic-made goods or foreign-made goods. 
And when a country runs huge trade deficits, they potentially risk future inflation if that country, the foreign country that owns such a large percentage of debt, decides to dump it on the market. And that will force the central bank to soak up the excess supply. They'll have to create the money that the foreign nation then holds and potentially can go out and buy goods and services at a time when the capacity to produce those goods and services is, is constrained. Because that, that the real wealth of a country is their ability to produce goods and services. So that is episode 42, why most countries are insolvent. Hopefully you now have the Monopoly book, understand why that is. I, I admit it, it makes my head spin every time I write about it and talk about it. It is very, very, very circular, but that is how the monetary system works. Hey, on the Money for the Rest of Us hub, I just released the monthly investment conditions report where I talk about current valuations, current market internals, what's going on with the economic and central bank trends. And I do that every month, just release it, and I talked about why I was reducing my exposure to U.S. stocks and have allocated more to foreign countries and which particular countries I've made an investment in. You can get information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Just, just, I've gotten some questions on this. This is a monthly subscription. You can cancel at any time. You don't have to commit to a year. You simply sign up. You try it out for a month or two. If you like it, you keep it. If you don't, you cancel. Moneyfortherestofushub.com. You can get show notes for this particular episode, episode 42, at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's where you can also sign up for my insider's guide, and I will email weekly those show notes to you. And that's where I answer listener questions and provide other valuable feedback and information to members of the insider's guide. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. Thank you, everyone, that has left reviews recently. I always appreciate it. Thank you for the person that said, listen to Money for the Rest of Us. For everything except learning to pay off debt for that, listen to Dave Ramsey. And I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't spend much time about talking about how to pay off debt with debt snowballs. Everything I've shared with you in this particular episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. I've simply provided general education on money, investing, and in this particular episode, on the economy. Have a great week. Thanks. Thanks.